You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Ridgeline, and I also lead a company called MyXP, where we provide remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. All right. Praise the Lord. Summer's almost here. Mm-hmm. It's, finally, it's warm today. It's warmish. Well, today, we'll see. Salt yeah. Lake's pretty unpredictable. It's up and down, but I have just... Fully committed to shorts and sandals from here on out. I've noticed that. I'll you, be there you until a, November. You got a lot of lip about that on Sunday. Wow. Because you were at church in t-shirt and shorts, and it was not warm out, but yeah. you're a grown man. You can wear whatever you want. But I heard no less than five people approach you sure. and rebuke you. And it's really complicated because I wear shorts a lot, and I also have found this fashion brand called Psycho Bunny, mm-hmm. which is like kind of the outline of a rabbit with like a skull and crossbone type thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the deal. They make big and tall shirts that were not made for, like, circus clowns, Mm -hmm. but instead are very comfortable, very nice stuff. Mm -hmm. And it fits me well. And that's why I like it. I don't care as much about the design. I mean, it has a design. That's fine. It could be blank, whatever. Mm -hmm. It fits good and feels good, and I feel good in it. And the comments I get. (laughs) So just leave me alone, you know? Yeah, like somebody thought it was a Playboy bunny. I mean, it's (laughs) just, you're like... That's not, I mean, it's yeah. not even in the same ball. Other no, than they're both not. rabbits. Yeah. That's all you so got. So Bugs so. Bunny. No, yeah, like, right? There's, there's a lot of bunnies mm-hmm. in the yeah. world. Yeah, Easter Bunny. Come on. <laughs> so we're, summer's, summer's coming. Uh-huh. We are um, out of the throes of COVID, mm-hmm. it would seem, at least in the major well, ways. now you've done it. I know, it's we've, bad. It's coming we've back. We've done our own endemic. Yep. So <laughs> what are you most looking forward to with summer approaching? Because now, for the first time in a minute... There's a lot of stuff to look forward to. I am cautiously and also very excited uh-huh. about a trip that uh, I will be taking with your family to Hawaii. Yeah. Um, we have that uh, Disney thing we've talked about before in the past. It's like their kind of version of a timeshare and we can use it there. And yep. so we're going to and you had like flight vouchers. So all the stars aligned. And so we'll be there for five nights. And I think that I am excited because mm-hmm. I love pineapple mm. and snow cones mm. and... <laughs> This is, they still have Wi-Fi. This is the most expensive way for a person to consume Listen, snow cones and don't pineapple. Don't judge me. You're not the boss of how I'm I not. spend my I'm money. going with you to enjoy. That's true. So, But regardless, there's also a lot of other things to do there that I may or may not. I just want to go. Yeah. Everyone goes to, well, that, I shouldn't say it that way. Lots of people go to Hawaii at some point. And yeah. And I uh, just want to go. So yeah. that'll be fun. It's awesome. I am very excited about that. And then Tammy and I, Tammy and I were supposed to go to Hawaii for our 15th or no, as in, I think it was my, our 15th wedding anniversary and my 40th birthday happened on the same year. It just happened to be 2020. And uh, we were supposed to go to Hawaii for both of those. Nothing happened because of COVID. And so we are excited to go back for that. But then also Tam and I are going on a little trip to Vancouver, British Columbia, Mm. which we're super excited about. Never been there. Always wanted to go. And it will be the first time in, uh, I don't know, 
uh, seven years that we have had three, four nights without kids, too. Wow. So it's a big one. So we're pumped about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I'm real excited about no like, kids. four or five days with just Tam. Interestingly, I will have four or five days with three children. That is. So <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. You could text me. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> well, we are starting a new series this week um, that is all about, if you listened last week, we talked a little bit about where we're headed uh, in the coming, what will really be the coming months for From the Field. Mm-hmm. But the first series that we are starting is uh, we're talking a, a, from a bunch of different angles about creating emotionally safe spaces. So... And we're talking about this in the context of the church, being the type of people, being the type of church where people's emotional dysfunction, people's emotional health, all of that is welcomed Mm -hmm. so that the church can be a place of healing for those things. absolutely. And um, I think this is a necessary conversation because not all churches historically are a safe place emotionally. Um, In fact you know, even people listening might be a part of a church where as a ministry leader, if they were to seek out counseling or therapy, there could be severe consequences for that. There is still so much stigma, even just culturally taking the Christianity piece out of it around therapy and mental health. It's getting better, but there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of stigma. And so I think we can't really talk about this topic enough. And so we're going to start this by really talking just this week about why we care about this topic. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's a very personal one because sure. we've both um, in different ways and for different reasons been on our own healing journeys. Yeah. And so we're just going to really take today to kind of share our own stories and to talk about that. So why don't you kick us off yeah. and uh, we'll kind of follow this model of talking a little bit like everybody's dysfunction starts in childhood. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about what childhood experience was like for us. Sure. The wall that we hit, mm-hmm. both of us, that made us realize like, well, what has been working is not working for me anymore. I need some help with this. And then what our healing journey has looked like post hitting that wall. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your idyllic childhood. Yes. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a household um, that was very conservative Christian household. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of rules. Very strict. Yeah, very strict. Uh, A lot of rules, a lot of consequences for breaking those rules, whether it be you know, spankings with the belt or grounding or Mm -hmm. just a lot of different things like that, that uh, created this uh, real world within me that uh, my goal in so many things in life until pretty recently was to just not be in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think even as a grown adult, I'm still very much a rule follower Mm -hmm. uh, because I just feel like even with the authorities, even with whatever, I'm trying to still somehow stay out of trouble uh, because uh, I wasn't, you know, grounded Mm -hmm. in trouble a lot and, and, you know. You're you're really not even like a speeder in your car. Mm -mm, No. Like you you are... If, if, if there's a way to do it, you will set your cruise control no matter where Maybe you're like going. a mile yeah. more. But <laughs> just just one because you probably mm-hmm. won't get in trouble for that. Probably. But yeah, that's yeah. a real deep-seated like rule-keeping part of your makeup. Sure. Yeah. And so it was just that kind of environment that um, regardless of what happened, if it was outside of uh, sort of what we understood to be like allowed in the household, mm-hmm. the other option was in trouble. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, yeah, and so then um, 
unfortunately, I don't know what else to say, yeah. but unfortunately, yeah. uh, I was in a situation where I experienced uh, sexual abuse for several years from mm-hmm. uh, the time, I don't know, from uh, seven-ish until mm-hmm. uh, in two different kind of circumstances until about 12. Mm-hmm. And um, I I think because of, you know, what my young mind was filled with, uh, like, I knew, you know, kids, I believe, know, like, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. This but isn't I think, my fault. Uh, what's that? This isn't my, like, I didn't do this. This isn't my fault. Like, well, somewhere... I think I, I did think that. You though. did think yeah. it was your well, fault. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and as a result, I couldn't talk about it because I yeah. would be in trouble. Right. And I felt like, I mean, if I got in trouble for taking, like, a cookie that I shouldn't have, yeah. I could only imagine what yeah. this would lead to. And right. so, um, yeah. And so just dealt with that. Um, for all of my teens, uh, mm-hmm. so much so, especially growing up in a conservative Christian culture and area, um, just a, that caused a lot of questions. Why me? What does that mean about me? What does mm-hmm. that mean about my sexuality? Mm-hmm. All of those kind of things. Uh, so much so that I was uh, suicidal to the point of I had a letter written in my desk mm-hmm. my entire, like, I mean, from like 7th through 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I genuinely to this day believe the reason I didn't take my own life at some point during that uh, was because I was convinced that I would mess up somehow, like mm-hmm. that somehow I'd screw it up and mm-hmm. I would be like deformed or disabled as a result of whatever option I had tried and everyone would know that mm-hmm. and no one would feel sorry for me or help me because I had done it to myself. Yeah. Do you have, first of all, um, it is a, I think to not acknowledge and honor the willingness to share that publicly. A lot of people, maybe even some listening might be carrying that in secret, Mm. which is um, very uh, heartbreaking to know Mm. that some people are carrying that in isolation. And so I think the willingness and the courage to to talk about that publicly is a huge deal. And I think is even as we're having this conversation about creating safe place for people emotionally mm-hmm. is an example, like that vulnerability going, we'll, we'll have a week where we talk about leaders needing to go first in, in this. And this is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. So thank you for yeah. what that's worth. I mean, obviously I've known for a very long time, sure. but a lot of people listening, I mean, Maybe no one listening probably had any idea. <laughs> probably that. Yep. So to be willing to um, acknowledge that publicly is a really, really huge deal. But I, I have a question about, so when you think about <clears throat> all the experience, not just that one um, particular like ongoing chronic trauma that you experienced mm-hmm. for multiple years. But when you think about maybe kind of the totality of high school mm-hmm. and you think about getting into like post high school, early twenties, what were some of the ways that those experiences were like posed challenges for you? Does that make sense? Like, so we're going to talk about like it, it by and large, when people have experienced some kind of childhood mm, trauma like okay. that and then decide like, I need to get some help. Usually yeah. that happens because you hit some kind of wall. Sure. Like what I was doing and was working for me isn't yeah. working anymore. And there's like problems going on in sure. my life relationally or in my responses or things like that. Were there any things that you remember in those years that now you didn't maybe even realize it then, but now as you look back, you go, well, these were definitely unhealthy consequences of 
I mean, you've already mentioned like some of your inner thought life yeah. and like all of this confusion mm-hmm. that you were living with and shame and all of that. Anything else come to mind in addition to that? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, the big thing was like, I felt like a total fraud mm. because ever since a very young age, ever since kindergarten, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a pastor. I've wanted to be in ministry. I preached my first sermon uh, at 11 years old, mm-hmm. uh, like on our Sunday night service. Mm-hmm. I, and, and so it was just, and and there was an awful lot of com- conversation in our household about like good Christians do X, they don't do Y. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a, a household, I think because it mattered so much to me um, when I wouldn't do the things I should or chores, I regularly would get grounded from church or youth group. Um, and so, um, yeah. And so I just think that that was all that mattered to me, but mm-hmm. I had this like secret that I felt like disqualified me from anything I wanted in life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I think it was just very complicated for yeah. sure. And I think, but I just continued to move forward. I was, you know, the chaplain at our school and the student body president and, you know, uh, the chair of our worship music commission at my church, mm-hmm. even at a very young age and all of, mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. But it was, uh, I think I was maybe somehow trying to compensate mm-hmm. for yeah, what I felt like was sense. probably my fault. And mm-hmm. so if I could just do enough good things and enough ministry and all yeah. of that, like somehow it would go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it just didn't. And I remember we were a part of a, a church plant in mm-hmm. the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. And, um, we were like kind of assigned, we were interns and we were sort of assigned the college ministry, even though we ourselves were that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and it was going pretty well. And yeah, there were totally lots was. of people, like I worked at a local movie theater and like a bunch of people were coming from that. And we worked at Starbucks and people were coming from that. And then also from our church and it was awesome. And we were at a mall, uh, I think at a Ruby Tuesday, eating lunch with people and something caused you, like uh, I think we had, been friends ever since I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so I think, uh, and that was not something we had ever talked about. And, but in general, I was a pretty emotional mess. Mm -hmm. You know, I was very like needy and clingy and codependent and just a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of things. And something happened and we were eating lunch and there were people around and you looked right at me and it wasn't even a part of the conversation, but I just vividly remember you said, when are you going to get emotionally whole? Mm-hmm. And I like broke down, had to like excuse myself into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you really understood what happened. And so I like we got done there and I went and met with uh, one of our pastors mm-hmm. and uh, talked to him about what I was going through. Um, and I think he was probably the first human that I had shared the experience that I had. And so then as a result, he Mm -hmm. told me to go and um, like meet with our senior pastor at the church and like explain that all to him and tell him I needed to be in therapy and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. And it was kind of a weird situation. I remember that conversation. I was sitting in his backyard on his deck and he made a comment, uh, you know, and I I felt really bad because I knew like I'm an intern and Mm -hmm. I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, and he made this comment of, well, you know, uh, for, you know, most of the time staff members and interns and stuff like you're here to serve the church, but for you, the church is going to have to serve you. Mm-hmm. And that was really confusing for me even then. Cause I worked real hard. I've always worked. Yeah, real it was hard. a condescending way to say yeah. it. And in hindsight, he was not a very emotional well, healthy yes. guy. <laughs> yeah. He's gone through a lot of therapy himself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then, uh, by God's grace, because of how they were connected, mm-hmm. uh, I don't actually know that the person I started seeing, um, was like, 
would see some of the, like, I could name off some names of people in the Chicagoland area in ministry that were very important pastors, this guy. And he just has a reputation of dealing with people in ministry and pastors. Mm -hmm. And it was just pretty, I mean, especially now looking back on it, Mm -hmm. it was spectacular. And Mm -hmm. so I spent, I don't know the amount of time Mm -hmm. somewhere between one and two years Mm -hmm. um, and weekly therapy with him. And, uh, you know, I was a college student and broke as could be. And so the church paid for it. Mm -hmm. And I remember going and feeling very burdened by that. Like, uh, like even in movies and stuff, it was regular that like people would just sort of dink around in therapy. They wouldn't get to it. And there's always that like crisis, you know, even Mm -hmm. like goodwill hunting that crisis moment, you know, he sits in silence for one whole session (laughs) and all of that. And I just remember feeling like the church is paying for this. I got to get to work. Mm -hmm. And so I went and even that very first time, like shared all, everything that had happened to me with, with him and what I thought that meant. I, I, I vividly remember at some point, I think even before I started therapy, like sharing it with you. And mm-hmm. that was really, I mean, we were, you know, you're a tiny bit older than me, but mm-hmm. like telling you about some of those things that had happened, I remember being so anxious about. <clears throat> and I remember we were sitting in, Uh, your bedroom Mm -hmm. and I like walked through this story and you like uh, you told me that you were sorry that that happened to me and you hugged me and prayed for me and yeah and so that was just very meaningful because I think you know at that point you were like my closest relationship. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I had spent so many years at that point, probably 10 to 15 years convinced that if anyone found out, especially like the people closest to me and like, I would be rejected or something like Mm -hmm. that. And that just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I was really grateful for that, but then, uh, spend time in therapy and that was pretty, it was difficult, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm curious, like, when you think about those early days of yeah, therapy, like, yeah. it's something that you do get more comfortable with as sure. time goes on for sure, as you know what to expect and how it's going to go. But when you think back to, like, a couple of those early sessions that mm-hmm. you were going to, tell me about, like, what was going on inside of you. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, like, pulling into the parking lot and sitting into my car and... Uh, again, I mean, you know, that trouble thing would, mm-hmm. was really driving me because I knew as a part of like the church paying for it, like, you know, I gave him permission to like at least give some updates. And so for sure, if I like no showed for something that they paid for, that wouldn't be good. And mm-hmm. I was afraid I'd lose my intern. I don't know mm-hmm. all that would happen. Your unpaid but, internship. Yeah. No, yeah. we got paid. Did we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like 125 bucks a week. Oh, yeah, wow. It was pretty good. That's big money. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah, it was just really hard because mm-hmm. we were, you know, delving into, you know, why I felt the things I did about trouble and and the environment I had growing up and you know, all of you always start with family of origin stuff, you yeah. always and so uh it was really hard, but I think the other thing that was hard for me was I had gone in with the expectation that therapy, I would go to therapy and like like broken and it was his job to fix me up and send me out. Mm -hmm. And that's not what therapy is for. Yeah. Uh, It's very similar to like, if you want to learn a trade, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to learn how to fix air conditioners. You show up on day one and don't know anything about them and you keep 
going until you can go out on your own and, you know, start your business and fix. And a lot of it's about like getting tools. Yeah, exactly. And so he helped me understand that it was, and I, I, I even remember, you know, there had been a couple of sessions where it was more just like catching up with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and finally he, I mean, he brought up, he's like, so what would you think about not coming? Mm -hmm. And like, I think at that point I was kind of panicked. Like I Mm -hmm. I need this. And he was Mm -hmm. like, he was like, you know, you can always call. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's like, I really think that you have those tools needed to like be able to work through some of what you're facing. Um, and, and I largely did. And I think that again, that didn't mean that I didn't spend the next 10 to 15 years having to think through everything that I had experienced and all of those types of things. Um, and continue to work through what that meant. But he was just very phenomenal at mm-hmm. his job. He's still yeah. practicing and loving and carrying on pastors to this day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so it was just a really meaningful to have that kind of help and assistance yeah. for sure. Well, you were um, ahead of the curve on this. I was, I was for sure the slow kid mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I was, you were, I mean, what were you 20? When you started, probably nineteen. Nineteen yeah. when you started, mm-hmm. I was um, thirty-seven, mm. thirty-eight, and yeah, it's I. It's I don't know if ironic is the right word. Um, the fact that that my comment to you in, at lunch about emotional wholeness is kind of what was the catalyst <laughs> is just very ironic. It's ironic to me, <laughs> um, sure, because yeah, I mean, I guess I can get into why in just a second. But, uh, you know, last week I, I'm doing this series on core longings. Mm -hmm. And last week I talked about our core longing for security or safety Mm. that only God can really meet that for us. But as a part of that, I talked a little bit about trauma Mm -hmm. specifically when it, the effects of it, when it happens in childhood. Mm. And so they refer to this as, um, adverse childhood experience, Mm. ACEs is what they call them. 64% of Americans report experiencing at least one adverse childhood experience and one in four experience, uh, four or more. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and by my count experienced six, Mm. um, my biological dad left Mm -hmm. when I was three, my, uh, grandfather who we were, uh, living close to after my biological dad had left, we moved to be closer to them. He, uh, died by suicide Mm -hmm. when I was five. Um, my mom, uh, who I love deeply, um, also had a borderline personality disorder, Mm -hmm. which emotionally just made our home erratic. Mm -hmm. And then she remarried. And, um, so then I had like a new dad Mm -hmm. and a couple of new siblings And, uh, not everything about, there are aspects to that, that were tremendous and I'm super thankful for. Mm -hmm. And there were aspects to it that were very complicated and further made, uh, childhood unpredictable and scary Mm -hmm. to me. Uh, one of my closest friends died in a car accident when I was seven. So just like between the ages really of three and 10, Mm. A lot happened sure. in my life. Um, my response to that was to um, unconsciously basically whitewash the whole experience. Mm. And even up until a few years ago, when I would tell my story um, and people would ask me, like, man, what, what was the impact 
of having mm-hmm. your dad leave. I'd be like, oh, it, it didn't really affect me. Sure. Because he left, my mom remarried, and I had a great dad, so I'm yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And I had not really given a moment of reflection uh, to the whole thing. And this mm-hmm. is just childhood. There's, as you know, there's a long list of stuff that's happened in the last 20 years too. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but, but it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when we were in North Carolina, that experience, um, mm. was for me so mentally and emotionally, uh, draining and mm-hmm. difficult that I gave an immense amount of time, thought, reading, and study to um, to mental resilience. Yeah, I was doing a lot of reading, like stoicism, yeah, stuff like I that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, just to get by. Sure. <laughs> and um, and a lot of that was really helpful in being able to survive and cope in that environment. But then when we left and we came here, I kind of carried a lot of that over, and so. And, and it appealed to me because, like, even when I made, which I don't remember that conversation with you. Mm. Um, and I do know that in my mind, I equated emotional wholeness with people who, like, could go through hard things and not cry about it. Sure. Genuinely. Like, and that's not my story. And that's not your story. <laughs> but your response to your trauma was healthier in a mm. sense than what mine was in that you at least maintained the ability to feel emotion. Sure. And I learned to just re- like repress it. Mm. And the language that I use is like, I would go through a hard thing and I would just turn the page and yeah. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. And that worked for me again until it didn't. Yeah. And so the wall that I hit was, and I've pr- talked about this at some point probably on here, but <clears throat> we were watching, I'd been praying for about a year that God would increase my, my experience of intimacy with him. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. I I didn't really know what that meant. Like, I mean, I know what I was after, what I was longing for. I didn't know the path to get there. Yeah. And I thought for sure it would be like some kind of, you know, Holy spirit moment Mm. and descending on me and stuff like that. But I've been praying that over like, Lord, I want, I want to experience more of you. So one night we are watching uh, the parent trap with our kids for family movie night, the Lindsay Lohan one. And, uh, that was a movie I watched a lot as a little kid, the original Mm. one. And, uh, we had it on VHS and I watched it over and over and over again. And I'm sure that there were like, I wasn't aware of it, but there were aspects to like this, you know, couple who gets divorced and then they magically get back together and everything Mm. is glorious again. There was all kinds of themes in it. I think that really resonated with me as a little kid that I didn't understand. And I had not, seen that movie since I was a little kid and it was just like this wave of them like all of these memories and emotions came back as I was watching this freaking Lindsay Lohan movie of all things sure I wish that it could have been Goodwill Hunting or something cool <laughs> but it was just for sure not <laughs> yeah. so I just started Disney to like to the rescue yeah just bawling like pulled my hood up over my head because I didn't want my kids to be afraid that I was having like a a mental breakdown, which I think I was. And uh, so we get through the movie and I called our friend Zach the next day to talk to him about that. And he was really great at talking to me through it. But I remember texting him after that call saying like, I think it's time for me to get some therapy. And I was really scared about that. But he texted me back and said, you know, while we were talking, that's I. That's what I was thinking too, and mm. I just didn't say it to you. But since you bring it up, I think that you should. Yeah. 
And, um, and once I make a decision, I respond very quickly. So I had a therapist scheduled by end of day. Sure. (laughs) And, and I, I remember that, that I remember that very first session Mm. and I remember walking across the parking lot and really not like having all of the, the like second guessing that you have, you know, where you're like, I don't really need to do this. Like, Mm. I'm tough and I've learned how to function, you know, with all this stuff. Like I was just having a weird night and I'm like all that going on. And, and it was one of, one of the moments where, um, I heard God speak to me more clearly than, Mm. or as clearly as I've ever heard. And he said to me, and this was a huge comfort to me was this isn't just about you. And I think that word has carried me through the many, many days when I've wanted to just stop my healing, not just therapy, but just like healing requires facing the wounds. Yeah. Healing requires, um, allowing, uh, inviting other people into those wounds and it's very uncomfortable and it's not very fun. And, and that word has, has carried me through now what has been almost a three year long journey of, Mm therapy almost we like usually weekly spiritual direction once a month mm-hmm. um and then also was a big part of me starting the spiritual direction program that mm-hmm. i'm in being trained in that yeah and and it has been um a very i mean it has been transformative for sure. me for sure and it's still really hard. i mean i was in th- i had therapy yesterday yeah <laughs> and and Two weeks ago, I walked in to her office and sat down. She's like, how are you? I said, well, I don't really feel like doing this today. Mm. And she laughed and said, well, thanks for your honesty. And we're going to do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's still, it's, still, uh, it's still really hard, but it has, it has transformed the way that I think about my relationship with God mm. and the way that I try to parent and be a husband and definitely it's, it's transformed the entire way that I think about what it means to be a pastor. Sure. So I'm really thankful for it. Um, and it's been really hard and draining and during a pandemic, which has been fun. Yeah. But the reason that I thought it'd be good for us to start here is so that people who are going to listen to this series could understand that this isn't just like principles, you know, like pastors preach principles that they don't totally. live all of the time. Yeah, that's good. This has been a really like felt like this has been our journey. Sure. Well, and, and, again, at different times, but it's been our journey. Yeah. And, and even for me, I mean, uh, you know, like the story doesn't stop 20 years ago, right. you know, uh, cause I experienced as I've shared in North Carolina, some of the most blatant and offensive spiritual abuse, I think a person could. Mm-hmm. And so that was challenging. Um, you know, you guys went there first and there was no guarantee I'd get to go. So that was unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, while, while we were there, my older sister passed away and that mm-hmm. was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And then we moved here and we're starting a church and mm-hmm. all of, and they're just, you know, between the pandemic and, uh, some interpersonal stuff with some people that I believed were only for me. And it turned out that they were not, mm-hmm. um, Back in November, uh, I started therapy again because mm-hmm. I just again and it, it's it, like I needed I, I needed a tune up you yeah. know I needed that opportunity to like I needed different tools because mm-hmm. I was using the ones but they were pretty dull at this point and they were you know and I just needed some new things and mm-hmm. so I think even even that 
situation to recognize like, and it, you know, it wasn't as easy, but I really hit a breaking point again. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I cannot do this on my own. I think because you also have been going through a lot in this season, like uh, I think, yes, your friends can be there for you. Even Mm -hmm. if you have a friend who's a clinical psychologist, they Mm -hmm. can be there for you. I'm here to tell you, anyone who's listening, it's not the same. No. If you got a therapist friend or you, you know, are surrounded by them and you feel like every once in a while I throw out like an ideation or something Mm -hmm. like that and like get their counsel. You're not in therapy. Yeah. That doesn't count. No, that's just called friendship. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I think getting to a point where I needed more support than I could expect from my friends that I can expect from those who love me and, and to get to a point where I was back at it. Yeah. So here's why, as we, as we kind of land the plane here talking about, uh, like why why we're doing this series on creating emotionally safe space. Here's here's why it matters. I think probably the most profound um, area that I have become aware of in the last three years through my own journey is that there really is no spiritual health without emotional health. Absolutely. And it is unfortunately not very common in many Christian circles where we really are. Uh, instructed on the integration of those two things. Yeah. And for me, my my f- first exposure, as many people was, was uh, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that I, I've joked for a couple of years now that that's the book that put me in therapy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two things are necessarily connected. So yeah. you can't be emotionally uh, or, or be spiritually mature and be like an emotional infant in your life. It's just not, it's not possible. And so it, we just need so much more conversation, so much more instruction on this topic. And so we're really just going to spend five, six weeks talking about our journeys, our perspective on some of these things, what has been Mm -hmm. important for us and inviting other people into that as well. I do want to say we've covered a a lot of heavy subject matter today. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before, almost no one ever takes me up on it, but if you're listening to this and this is triggering for you or challenging for you, and maybe you're carrying something and feel like you're carrying it alone, uh, you can email me, Ryan at ridgeline.church, uh, Ryan at ridgeline.church, and I am a safe place for you to be able uh, to chat and to have somebody else in the world that knows what's going on and can, can carry that with you. So if that would be beneficial to you and you are struggling in isolation, um, I'd be happy to be able to help with that. So Mm. we'll come back next week. Um, we'll start to shift away from just the personal stuff to more practical and what to do from there. Um, but until then we just want to say thank you so much for giving us the honor of being able to share our stories and for you listening. Uh, if you enjoy from the field, we've say this all the time, but if you have never left a review, uh, that would be a huge help or just give us all the stars mm-hmm. would be awesome as well. Um, but until then, we just want to say thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time.